0: Welcome to Between the Headphones, a Georgia football podcast. I'm Stuart Steele, the sports editor at the Ren Black, and your host for this podcast series. Each week, the Ren Black football beat will look back on the previous week's game and preview the matchup for next week. In this episode, I'll speak to football beat writer Parth Patel about Georgia's 27-13 win against Tennessee, and preview the Georgia-Mississippi State game with assistant sports editor, John James. Welcome to the show, Parth. Thanks for having me, Stuart. So, obviously, Georgia Tennessee had a lot of buildup throughout the week as a potential game of the year. And I think it didn't necessarily live up to those expectations as a game, but Georgia came out and really showed a lot this week. What were your thoughts on the game from Georgia's perspective?
1: Yeah, so I think from Georgia's perspective, I think, you know, coming into the game, we all knew that, you know, the offense was going to be able to put up points on Tennessee's defense. I think what many fans weren't expecting was how good Georgia's defense was able to play Hendon Hooker in that offense. I think it was a flat out, dominant showing from you know the first quarter to the end where they were you know hooker was under constant pressure and they were just they're just able to kind of take away the explosive plays and I think it all got started with them just limiting Tennessee's rushing ability I mean Tennessee only had less than 100 rushing yards and you know for for that offense Kirby said it before the game that you know their big plays are set up on the running ability and Georgia was able to take that away without loading up the box which you know I personally a lot of people did not think that front was going to be able to do but they were able to do it and because of that you know that you know the defense was just flat out dominant it was really even though the score you know it's only a two score game but it was just all Georgia really from the first quarter.
0: Yeah, I mean I was super impressed with the defensive performance as well. I've I've been unwilling to maybe call this defense the best in college football this season. I think they're they're in that group, but this this was their best performance to me against such a high high quality opponent. And I think you hit the nail on the head with limiting Tennessee's rushing ability because, uh, like I was saying, while we were covering the game, I think getting Tennessee into third and five and longer is key. Because when they get into those third and two, third and one kind of situations, it's almost automatic with Hendon and Hooker and, and the passing game. And they're able to take those shots uh, when they get into those favorable down in distances. And Georgia just didn't let it happen. And then... Basically all the concerns we've had about Georgia's defense were like strengths on Saturday somehow, which is crazy. I mean, they got after Hendon Hooker. They had six sacks and a seventh that I think was a sack that didn't get counted as one. But it was just so crazy how Georgia played their best game on defense by far this season against the best opponent and the opponent that we were most worried about.
1: Yeah, and I think I think the defense was just flat out dominant. I think at times, you know, you and I noticed with Tennessee's kind of hurry up offense, it was kind of hurting them because, especially in that second quarter, they were going hurry up into quick third and long situations, and the defense was able to get off the field. And I think that just set up Georgia's offense well in that, you know, the offense was able to continue its rhythm for that first half on its way to a 24-6 halftime lead. So I think, you know, the Georgia defense, I think secondary was kind of the biggest thing we had going in was how well they were going to play. I thought Malachi Starks had a fabulous game. He was making open field tackles. He had a pass breakup. Keely Ringo, you know, he had that big time play in the second quarter where he was able to get the interception. And I think, you know, just all those safeties and corners back there, you know, they really held their own Jalen Hyatt was only limited to less than 70 receiving yards which is you know very good if you if you told me going into the game Hyatt would be under 100 yards then you know I'd say that Georgia has a good chance of winning so I think the secondary deserves a lot of credit as long as the D-line was able to you know get sacks coming into the game Michael Williams was the only defensive lineman that had sacks and then there were two more D-linemen that were able to pick up sacks so I think it was just overall great effort by the Georgia defense and I think. They were able to show that, you know, they might not be as consistent as the group was last year, but they definitely can, you know, show up and control the game like last year's
0: defense. So moving to the offensive side of the ball, uh, when we talked last week about this game, we made a big point to emphasize coming out strong in the first quarter and, you know, really taking it to Tennessee and delivering that first kind of punch in the game. And Georgia actually came out bad I mean that first drive that was a fumble and then they were able to respond to that and offensively played one of their best halves of the year along with Oregon in the first half so what did you see from the offense and and how impressed were you with their performance especially the first half?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, they got off on the wrong foot with that quick fumble by Dejon Edwards, but I think the O-line had, you know, they had a very good game with their pass protection. Stetson had all day back there, and you know, it paid off on that second drive when, you know, he couldn't find anyone. He was able to just run it in for a touchdown and then, with the pass protection, he had the he had the explosive plays to Arian Smith and Lad McConkie, and I think, just how with the clean pocket he had, and you know coming in, we we, we said that's that's needed need to you know be on point for this game, and he certainly was in that first half and I think it just made the Georgia offense click you know they were able to get the explosive plays they were able to pick up yards on the ground and I think there wasn't really anything Tennessee's defense was taking away from the offense so Georgia was just set up to continue you know driving and scoring and just taking time off the clock which set which set them up well for the second half
0: yeah, and I thought, I mean, the first half was all about Stetson to me and his ability to hit those big plays. The The throw to Arian Smith was awesome. I mean, the the, the throw to Kenny and Ladd on those other two big plays were not necessarily high difficulty because the players were open, but he still put them right on the money. And that, that call on the ladd McConkey touchdown was just a great call by Munkin to get him get him on that double move on the first play of the drive. And that was set up by Georgia's defense and that awesome punt by Brett Thorson um, kind of paid pinning Tennessee deep in the first place. So I thought that was a great instance of complimentary football, which is a thing Kirby Smart always talks about. All three units there really coming together to, to, to put points on the board for Georgia. And then, I mean, even in the second half, they didn't score a lot of points, but they had one drive in the third quarter that took up almost nine minutes of game time. So... It was interesting that in the first half they were almost this quick strike offense, um, not so much on the ball control side of things like we were talking about last week as a as a big goal for Georgia. And then they were able to become that in the second half and really just take away the whole uh, second half of a full quarter. I mean, that was huge, I think, limiting Tennessee's possessions and they were able to keep the defense, um, you know, rested and ready to go.
1: Yeah, and I think we, we talked about that coming into the game was Georgia's offense was going to have to just eat up time on the clock to keep Tennessee's offense off the field cuz you know they could have came back if they, you know, hit on an explosive play or something like that. So I thought that third quarter drive, you know, They were just able to run the ball, and they were just able to eat up time, which was very effective for them. And I think it kind of shows how adaptable and flexible this offense is. You know, they came out with the quick explosive plays early on, and then they were just able to kind of wear you down and just out-physical you in that second half, which kind of, I think it's kind of you know demeaning to Tennessee in that just, there was nothing that defense could do to really stop them, and even though they weren't putting points on the board, the most important thing was they were taking time off the clock, which you kind of knew creeping into that fourth quarter was Tennessee was just going to run out of time to have any chance of coming back.
0: Yeah, another element of the offense I found really interesting was how little of it really ran through Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington, who I I always call the engine of the offense because I feel like the tight end position is just so important for Georgia this year especially, but they were able to score those first half points going twenty four to six without Bowers or Washington really making a big impact on the game at least as receivers and I thought that was huge. Lad McConkey obviously had his best game of the year, which was awesome to see he's had his struggles this year as we've talked about on the podcast, but obviously it's great to see a guy bounce back and just play at a high level, and then Aaron Smith, another guy who's so easy to root for, coming off multiple injuries, getting in there and making a huge catch in the biggest game of the year was big time. And Rosemejack Jack-Saint, Marcus Rosemead Jack-Saint had a toe-tap touchdown on the back of the end zone, and I think it was so encouraging to see those secondary receivers really step up. Even if the numbers don't really jump off the page in total, they made plays when their numbers were called, and I think that's going to pay dividends going forward.
1: Yeah, I think this was one of the games where, you know, Kirby, after the game, mentioned how selfless the team was in accepting their role. And I think the wide receivers room really... Embody that because you know, with AD Mitchell out, there isn't any you know, star studded, you know, number one wide receiver that Georgia had going into the game. But you know, McConkey, Rosemary, Jack Saint, and Aaron Smith all kind of locked into their roles and they were able to be effective. You know, when we were um, at the game, we saw that when Smith came in, especially in that first quarter, they took I believe it was two deep shots and he was able to connect on one of them. So we kind of saw Smith's rolling kind of taking the top off the defense. We saw Jack Saint in the red zone with an incredible catch and then lad mcconkey kind of had kind of a all-around day where they're able to use his speed and just go after the defense i think those wide receivers really bought into their roles and i think that's going to be a recipe for georgia's offense going forward where you know when defenses do take away bowers or washington or they're not involved as much these wide receivers know their role and you know georgia can use that to their advantage
0: so I want to give some credit, obviously, to the Georgia fans for this game as well. And I wanted to ask you, we were both there. It was it was loud all game long, and it was making a huge impact. Uh, what did you think of that home field advantage really coming into play on Saturday?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was a big advantage for the game. You know, before the game, Kirby Smart called on the fans to kind of be loud. And then I think more fans were even fueled by that Eric Ainge tweet about Sanford not being a true, you know, loud environment. And I think people really took that to heart and, you know, they were loud the whole game. It got louder even after it started raining and I think I think it really helped juice up that defense when they were getting those sacks in the fourth quarter. And I th- you know, Jalen Hyde even said after the game they, they weren't able to hear the plays from Hooker and I think I think it caused just Tennessee to be out of rhythm a little bit, which for that offense just a little bit out of rhythm kind of hurts them and I think we saw that with I think it was six or seven pre-snap penalties Which really just killed drives I mean there's a point in the game where they were at third and two in the Georgia territory And they had back-to-back false starts which really just killed that drive settle for a Fugo And I think that really just set the tone the rest of the way Whereas they just weren't I don't think they were just ready for how loud Sanford truly was
0: Yeah, I mean I think I expected the crowd to make an impact. I didn't think it was going to be so consistently a factor though it was really reminiscent of the Arkansas game last year that I went to um, where it was multiple false starts and the offense of both Tennessee and Arkansas they just couldn't get anything going and it was especially impactful against Tennessee because they love that no huddle high tempo up tempo kind of offense and they weren't able to like you say find that rhythm and it was really breaking up their rhythm and I thought that was huge even maybe not more than the yards they were losing but those Those were both huge factors because, I mean, Tennessee has been living off that all season long and Georgia just Georgia and the fans just never let them get comfortable. And I mean, part of that was the players performing on the field and part of that really was the fans making an impact, I think. I don't know if Georgia would lose that game in Knoxville. I wouldn't go that far necessarily, but I think it would have been more like the game we all were envisioning it being if it was in Knoxville, more of a shootout, more like that Alabama game was. And I think that's a testament to the crowd at Sanford on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think the... The thing that went wrong for Tennessee is coming into the game, we thought, you know, how fast they play offense, the crowd noise wouldn't be as effective as, you know, it was against Arkansas. But I think what really hurt them was, you know, they were moving really fast, but they weren't getting yards. And then when they had to slow it down on third down, and the crowd noise was just insanely loud. And it's kind of you're in the dilemma of do you slow it down or do you keep going fast? And I think that's really what played a factor for, you know, Tennessee's offense just being out of rhythm the whole game.
0: And I think it, again, goes back to kind of all pieces of the team working together as well, because the crowd was able to get into it early. I mean, in the first quarter, they had a couple of false starts um, that the crowd really seized on, but also Georgia's offense being able to take control of the game and play with a lead, I think, made the crowd a factor. Like, I think the crowd still would have been into a close game as well. But, you know, if, if, if Tennessee started out strong, I think they could have potentially neutralized that threat a little bit more. But they were undis- undisciplined to start with and weren't able to score like we expected early. And then suddenly the crowd's just all over them. And I think that, that played a huge role. And you and I, I think, both thought the game was loudest in the fourth quarter after it had started raining. And I think that was just super impressive by the whole crowd. So this was a game with huge implications on the rest of the season, particularly for Georgia, I would say, but for both teams. I mean, Georgia now is in the driver's seat for the SEC East, representing it in the SEC championship game, and also, I think, in the driver's seat to secure one of the four spots in the college football playoff. So, I mean, what do you? how did this game change your long-term outlook on Georgia's season and their potential?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, coming into the season I always thought Georgia for sure was gonna head back to Atlanta for the SEC championship game. I wasn't too sure if they were going to make the, you know, college football playoffs just in case they lost a regular season game and then ended up losing to Alabama in the championship game but I think now with this win over Tennessee and controlling their own destiny to Atlanta with potentially zero losses really sets them up well and just you know even if they were to lose the SEC championship game with zero losses a one loss Georgia team with this impressive of a win would certainly should make the top four so I think it just sets up well for them in that they really control their own destiny up from here on out in that you know barring any unforeseen loss to either Kentucky or Mississippi State, they should certainly be back in the college football playoff ready to defend their title.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Saturday played out pretty much perfectly for Georgia, not just with their own game, but also with Alabama taking another loss to LSU. I I think Georgia's going to prefer to not play Alabama if they can at any time just because... Even after the national championship, there is just such a mental block with Alabama and so much history there that I feel like Georgia would rather play pretty much any other team from the SEC West in an SEC championship game scenario, and I think... I don't see any of these last three regular season games really providing like a trap game situation just because Georgia's already had their big trap game against Missouri that they almost lost. And I feel like Kirby and the leaders on this team just aren't going to let that happen again. I don't think we'll see a flat performance like that again in any of these games, and I think Georgia will Likely finish out the regular season undefeated. Obviously, you have to play the games though, so uh, Georgia will look to keep their focus moving forward. Thanks for coming on the show, Parth.
1: Thanks for having me, Stu.
0: Welcome to the show, John. Happy to be here, Stu. So Georgia now will travel to Starkville this week to take on Mississippi State, a team you and I have been very high on throughout the season at various points. And usually when we feel high on Mississippi State, they immediately lose in embarrassing fashion. So I was curious to see where you're at with Mississippi State right now.
2: I like Mississippi State in general. I just don't think Mississippi State is the right team to take down Georgia. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we've seen this season when Mississippi State – kind of has to play top-level team. They usually don't play up to the standard of that team. I mean, really just speaking to the Alabama game, they also lost to Kentucky, but who knows what Kentucky is at this point. And their biggest impressive win was over Texas A&M, who is, you know, kind of a dumpster fire now. So I think it's fair to say that I think we both think Mississippi State is a good team relative to the general Power Five landscape, but we don't really think of them as like a top- top-level SEC team at this point.
2: My problem with Mississippi State in the context of the Georgia game is that the teams that have given Georgia problems this season have beat them up at the line of scrimmage. And Mississippi State is not a team that can beat you up at the line of scrimmage. They're averaging the most passing yards in the SEC this year, and their last in rushing yards in the SEC. So that's not a team that's built to beat Georgia, no matter how good they are.
0: Yeah, I think this game would have been interesting had Georgia lost to Tennessee. I think I know that's a complete hypothetical, but if Tennessee's offense had really given Georgia fits, passing the ball through the air and all that stuff, I think Mississippi State would have been looked at as like a team that could potentially do the same. But Georgia passed that test with such. High flying colors that I really don't see the the path of Mississippi State really causing major issues for this defense. I guess if the the team just plays down to Mississippi State, that's always a possibility, especially in a road game. But I, I just don't see it talent wise.
2: And a lot of the quarterbacks and the best offenses that Georgia's faced this season have been dual threat. We're talking about Anthony Richardson, Hendon Hooker, Bo Nix. Real Rodgers is not that kind of guy. He's not the guy that's going to beat you with his legs. So that's a problem that Georgia hasn't exactly faced this season, but I don't see how he's going to do better than those other guys
0: have. I agree. I think that mobility has been important for those quarterbacks. I mean, if he's in the pocket I mean, and, and, and Georgia's able to get any kind of pressure like they did against Hendon Hooker, and this is a worse offensive line than Tennessee's to me, so I don't see how Will Rogers is going to be able to really function. Obviously, they're able to do that kind of quick passing game at times, but uh, watching the game against Alabama that Mississippi State played and knowing that the two schemes of those defenses, Georgia and Alabama, are pretty similar, they weren't really able to find that rhythm against that defense. So I, I just don't really see it this week. And and I think Mississippi State has talent. And I like Will Rogers as a quarterback, too. I think he's a, he's a really good player. And I like Mike Leach's offense. But I think that... When there's a talent gap between the two teams and, and you're running an air raid system, it's, it's not usually going to be able to overcome that to me. So the last time Georgia faced Mississippi State was in the 2020 season at Sanford, and the game was a lot closer than a lot of people expected, and Will Rogers was able to find some success, I think mostly because Georgia was dropping eight into coverage a lot of the times, kind of sending three-man rushes at Will Rogers, and, and I think that allowed him to hit a lot of these short kind of intermediate passes and get a rhythm going. I want to ask if you think Georgia will try to employ a similar strategy or if you think they'll be more aggressive.
2: I don't really see why they would change. Uh, a lot of teams have been playing that dink and dunk strategy against Georgia this year, notably Oregon, and it hasn't had any success against the Bulldogs. They've been really good about rallying to the football. They've been really good about gang tackling and I think that's something Georgia thinks they can count on for the rest of the year. So I don't think Georgia is going to be over really aggressive except in the case of Hendon uh, Hooker where they definitely want to make pr- get pressure on him and make sure he doesn't have a clean winner to throw the ball
0: yeah I mean so you think a lot of dropping that many people into coverage or you think a little bit different or just same thing
2: I don't think there's going to be as many blitzes as we saw against Tennessee. That was definitely an outlier, in my opinion. I'm not sure if eight in the coverage every time is the right way to play this, but I don't think that it's going to be necessarily a problem if they go overly cautious on the coverage side.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right that that was a game plan-specific thing against Tennessee, and I think it almost seems like Georgia was just saving that stuff for Tennessee. I know I don't know if coaches really do that in the real world. That's a thing people say all the time, but... It's like Tennessee hadn't seen all that stuff on tape I feel like with Georgia because they really haven't been a blitz heavy team all season long and then in their biggest game of the season so far suddenly they're super effective with blitzing and it's kind of the looks we haven't seen like bullard off the the nickel blitz and all that stuff so I think Maybe that was a, a game-specific thing as well.
2: My question on that front would be, when exactly did Georgia decide to start saving those plays? Because entering the year, it wasn't like we knew Tennessee was going to be 8-0 coming into the Georgia game. They might have been seen as the second-best favorite in the SEC East, but it wasn't like we knew that game was going to be for the fate of the conference.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, maybe saving them isn't the right words, but there are some things that you do as a team where... You could kind of save them for when you have a game against a big opponent and just mark that generally. Like, you don't need to know the specific team that's going to be good. Maybe maybe they thought that was going to be Kentucky or maybe they thought that was going to be a potential SEC championship game, anything like that. But I think there are certain things that you, and as you go along, you recognize your own tendencies and kind of adjust away from them to kind of catch teams off guard. So it could be more like that where Georgia knows they're not seen as a heavy blitz team and then, you know, maybe Schumann and Kirby are doing film study that week and they decide, hey, maybe we should, send these blitzes this week because they won't be expecting it at this point.
2: So now you're saying we've seen the fire packages, we're going to see more of them going forward is what what you're saying?
0: I think we're going to see these more exotic looks in games that Georgia thinks are going to be important. I mean, now it's pretty clear which games are going to be important because, I mean, you probably are going to the SEC championship game and, and things like that. So I think we will see more looks like we saw in that Tennessee game, in games where the other team's offense is very imposing, I mean, I think that makes sense. I think if they played Ohio State or a team like that, you would see those similar looks because I think that was just the plan against a high-powered offense.
2: I do have to say, out of Georgia's remaining schedule, if they were going to lose the game, this would be the game they they drop. Kentucky is spiraling right now. I don't know what's going on with that team. Georgia Tech is listless, and I think they're just kind of treading water until they get a head coach. So if a a team is going to beat Georgia before the end of the regular season, I do think it'll be Mississippi State.
0: So we've talked a little bit about Georgia's defense against this air raid Mississippi State offense, but I want to flip it to the other side of the ball. How do you see Mississippi State's defense dealing with Georgia's offense, and who are some of their kind of best players, maybe?
2: Mississippi State has been kind of middling in every aspect this year. They haven't been overly gassed on the ground. They haven't been overly thrashed through the air. But where they have come up big in certain games is that they can force turnovers. Emmanuel Forbes is the cornerback on their team, and he's got the highest number of interceptions in the entire NCAA. So if they're going to beat you on defense, they're going to get turnovers. I don't know if that's been a problem for Georgia recently. Stutton's been making better decisions than he had in the past, I think. But if if Mississippi State wants a chance in this game, they're going to have to force problems with Georgia.
0: I think, actually, generally that the turnover situation recently is the biggest concern going into this game for Georgia. Uh, I saw the stat on the broadcast this weekend that I think in the first three games, Georgia had zero turnovers, and in their last six or whatever, they have maybe 12. So it has been a bit of a concern. Even in the Tennessee game, they had two fumbles. Obviously, one of those was probably a, a weather-related fumble, but still it counts as a turnover. So I think that that is the the one thing that in any kind of a game like this, in any kind of trap game situation, that's that's the great equalizer. If Georgia goes out there and turns the ball over two or three times and Mississippi State plays a clean game on offense, not giving Georgia the ball back, I think suddenly you're in a dogfight, uh, no pun intended, in this game. But, yeah, I think that's the biggest factor that could, could lead to a Mississippi, Mississippi State win.
2: In recent weeks, Mississippi State hasn't been overly stout on defense. They gave up 33 points to Auburn just last week, and Auburn isn't a threatening offense in any regard. So I don't think Georgia's going to have any trouble moving the ball in this one.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think Georgia has the players, the talent, has been running and passing the ball well for the most part for the last month or so in in most of their games. And I I just don't think there's, there's a realistic path to Mississippi State holding Georgia under 30 points in this game and I think they'd probably have to do that to to have a chance at winning.
2: Notably, 2 weeks ago, Mississippi State held Alabama to exactly 30 points. So that's that's the weather mark.
0: Yeah, but that was also a game where uh, Alabama didn't need to score more points because their defense just dominated and it was I think 30 to 6 was the final and Mississippi State really couldn't get out of their own way. So I think I think that could be a very similar way to how this game plays out if Georgia's defense comes to play, another low-scoring out- output for Mississippi State, and another game where Georgia maybe just tries to run out some clock late and doesn't. I, I mean, I don't think they're going to pour it on against Mississippi State if it's, if it's a comfortable win. So last thing on Mississippi State, uh, can you give me a pick, and can you give me an offensive player who you see having a big game for Georgia?
2: I think Georgia is going to win 39-17, to and I think Dejon Edwards is going to have a big game because late in the game it's going to be out of reach and Georgia's going to just going to be trying to kill time. So they're going to hand it off a lot, and Dejon is going to rack up a bunch of yards
0: through the ground. Yeah, my pick for this game is going to be Georgia 34, Mississippi State 13. I think Georgia controls this game from the get-go and, and really puts it out of reach by, by halftime. Mississippi State scores a touchdown late to make it look a little closer than it actually is. On the defensive side of the ball, two players I'm really watching for this week to have a big impact on, on the game are Smile Munden and Jamon Dumas Johnson, Georgia's two best linebackers. They've been really solid all season long. I think especially Dumas Johnson has been a big leader for this defense that, that really needed someone to step up at that position in the wake of losing N'Kobe Dean, Channing Tyndall, and Quay Walker. And I think both of them, with the way Mississippi State plays with those quick passes, are gonna have a a lot of tackles and a lot of chances to make plays on those tackles. I think one of them forces a fumble in this game, and I think uh, Georgia wins comfortably, like I said. Thanks for coming on the show, John. Thanks for having me, Stu. Thanks for listening to Between the Headphones. I'm Stuart Steele. You can find other episodes wherever you get your podcasts and on redandblack.com. For even more Georgia football coverage, visit slash game day. We'll tee it up between the headphones again next week.